0: All right, you're back in the DFSR on the Overtime Media Network, brought to you from the Vivid Seats Lounge. I'm Doug Norrie. That is James Davis, and we're from DailyFantasySportsRankings.com, or DFSR.com for short, and on the podcast today, we're going to be breaking down all the games for Week 1 Main Slate on FanDuel and DraftKings talking about something, there's not really that much injury news, we won't won't be talking too much about that, but where we can turn for cash games, where we can turn for GPPs, which games to totally avoid, talk about some defenses, really just talk about the fantasy implications from each and every game on the main slate, so we'll break that, Uh, if you want to go get our cash game plays, we did uh, roll through a podcast of that two days ago, so go check that out, that's on the same feed, those roll through some of our cash game picks, though we'll nod to some of these guys, because some of those names did change over the course of the last couple days, but... A guy that is not on the main slate and might not even be a Raider by the, by the end of the season. Uh, do we have thoughts on Antonio Brown here? Like, the guy seems a full-blown utter mess. He threatened to punch out the GM, Mike Maycock, it sounds like. We already had the part where he had frostbitten feet in the, post-season, or in the, in the in, during training camp. He had a helmet that he didn't want to wear. He took a hot air balloon ride. If you watched Hard Knocks, that's how he entered <laughs> training camp. The guy seems uh, legit and full-blown crazy. Uh, what do we do for this guy, like, going forward? It really seems like he's going to be suspended. I don't know. Has he already been suspended officially for all of week one, or he's going to be? uh, Like, the the Raiders just cut Antonio Brown? Like, what is going on here? I don't even know how to evaluate the situation, because he seems like he's entering, like, the Mike Tyson, the quote Bill Simmons, the Mike Tyson zone, where just anything's on the table for this guy.
1: Yeah, it's sad. I mean, having been a Steelers fan when Antonio Brown was first emerging, I just don't recall him always being this way. And in football, unfortunately, like boxing with Mike Tyson, uh, you always have to ask yourself the question: if there just actually is something medically wrong with the guy at this point, because he just seems fully off the reservation, like totally unaware of how he sounds when he's saying these various things, you know, threatening to retire if he doesn't get to use the old helmet and blah blah blah. Like, yeah, I think there. I think we might find out in not the not too distant future that there actually just legitimately is something seriously wrong with him. Hate to be the guy like. You know, craps on something that a lot of people are finding kind of funny and stuff right now but it's just so bizarre that I have trouble reveling in it.
0: Well, uh, I'll read you a Shannon Sharp quote because this guy's never been a fan of him. Um, this is a tweet from him and then we can get onto the main slate. He says, when I said money doesn't change people, it makes you more of what you are. AB is a prime example and this is where it gets good. A clown emoji that gets a large sum of money buys more makeup and becomes a bigger clown emoji. Don't ask why a person chooses to be a clown emoji, but why we keep watching him perform. #Hashtag I told you. So, I guess there's got there's been people that have not been on the Antonio Brown train for a long time. They kind of have. I guess were are concerned about this, but man, what a crazy thing! Jealous people I've, who I've, hate people. the
1: goat, baby. That's all I gotta say. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Shannon Sharpe, Shannon probably doing fine. I, my, my, maybe some, from some other people, but uh, did run to try so to pick Jones. up Hunter Renfro in, a, Renfro in a couple leagues. People seem to think that now he could be one of the main uh, beneficiaries of Brown being out. Hunter Renfro, the, the cleanup Just, guy
1: for the uh, for the Padres. That's what you're talking
0: about. Oh yeah, no, no, I screwed that up. Uh, oh, what's his name? Renfro. Jeez, I'm not. Well, now I'm all screwed up because. <laughs> Because that's the only name that's in my head right now. What's the what's the tight end's name? Oh no, it is Hunter Renfro. Yeah, it, 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 yeah that's right. You screwed me up there because I was like, no, no. I know like that it's just name. bizarre.
1: I just it, well, no, but it's but, uh, Renfro
0: Renfro on the Padres is O E, and then uh, Renfro on the on the Raiders is O W. Man, you really you really threw me. Yeah, for don't a don't like get them mistaken.
1: Like they really can't stand that. Okay, they're just they're two distinct guys. Neither can hit. They're him not right the same person.
0: Okay, so all right, so um, <laughs> let's roll through some. Let's roll through the games here. A lot to talk about. Ton a uh, bunch of games here on the main slate. We'll roll through each one, talk about the fantasy implications. Some are going to be quicker than others. Obviously, there's some teams that just <laughs> honestly just really aren't that interesting, and some games that aren't that interesting. Some that are. We'll start off with one that is. KC rolls into Jacksonville. This game has a fifty. Well, it's no. It, it has a fifty-one and a half over/under. It started at fifty-two and a half. It came down a point, point. and actually, it came. Up on the Jacksonville side because it started at minus five KC on the road and now is down to minus three and a half, which is I find to be interesting. Um, that just maybe people aren't buying as much into KC or they're just or maybe just people are a little bit more bullish on Jacksonville here. Let's go with some high level thoughts. And obviously, the big news is the big news from KC is that the second LaShawn McCoy was released by the Bills, the Chiefs just picked him up and immediately said, Yeah, he's gonna have a role in this offense. So, Damian Williams, drafters, um. Had, did did some quaking in their boots I think when that happened. What do we make of the running game here for the Chiefs? And I think we can talk about the Jacksonville Jaguars cuz I find them to be a pretty interesting fantasy uh just fantasy viable team altogether
1: on this slate. Sure. So, I mean, this game has the highest total on the main slate as far as I can tell, right? So, right away, we're going to at least need to pay attention to it. Uh the issue on the Chiefs side, at least as far as cash games are concerned, is that they're all pretty expensive, you know. I don't Right now, we're not seeing room for Mahomes at 8700 uh, given the other plays you sort of have to prioritize. I think you can consider Kelsey. Uh, we talked about him and Kittle being sort of in a class of their own, and actually, you know, for the first time, maybe since the Gronk heyday, sort of justifying these top-end, tight-end prices. Uh, I'm not going to mess with Tyreek Hill. You know, bad matchup, cover corner. Our system is tempted just because the price is down a little bit on him. I think actually in sort of a sophisticated way, like FanDuel and DraftKings uh, seem to be acknowledging opposing corner matchups at least early in the season. Um, but yeah, for such a prolific offense, at least at this point, a, a prolific offense with the highest total, in the game with the highest total, our system is not seeing it for cash games. Obviously, in any given week, you can play this team, multiple parts of it for big tournaments, but for cash game purposes right now, it's it's just not coming together.
0: Yeah, I think that if you want to take a step, if you feel like the... the- just the general populace is going to be low on a guy like Damian Williams now, just because of the McCoy thing, you know, McCoy showing up, and it's always hard to tell coach speak on a week-to-week basis. Like, it, it, what I mean is, you really can't trust what a coach says before a game to be the thing that actually happens during the game. So, if you think that Damian Williams is just, you know, still just a bell cow kind of runner that they we expected him to be lead going into the season, that I think that from a GPP perspective, he does make a interesting, if not, you know, not safe play um yeah you mentioned Tyreek Hill getting covered uh, by Jalen Ramsey so that's gonna be a problem if you want to just maybe pivot off him to a guy that could just see some just decent targets if Hill is especially covered Sammy Watkins I think is interesting from a going to almost definitely a very low ownership and did see a few games of eight and nine targets last season so and did have one two touchdown games so I think there are interesting guys in the Chiefs I'm with you that it's really tough to think about them in terms of cash games but again this is a team that was like historic in terms of offense last year. So I think to totally ignore them in GBPs would probably be problematic. What about the Jacksonville side? We talked about Dede Westbrook for cash. What about a guy like Foles just heading in here? Or even Fournette. Like, I mean, Fournette might be one of the few guys that is just an every down runner for this team. We've seen them willingness to do that with him in the past. Like, do you see him having some upside in this matchup?
1: Yeah, anytime Fournette's been healthy, we have seen the Jags go to him. Almost regardless of game script, and put him in sort of that twenty-five touch a game category. So I think Fournette is still definitely a value going into the season here. Uh, the Chiefs' defense was far from prolific last season, and also since they are sort of a high-flying offense, they tend to generate a lot of possessions for the opposing offense. I think another sort of, you know, foundational assumption that we're having going into the season, and we're not alone here, is that the Jags' offense will just run smoother without Bortles under center. So, you know, guys like Fournette. D.D. Uh, Westbrook is, I think, going to be perhaps, like, based on w- we spit out these projections then I sort of did some fishing around uh, throughout the rest of the industry. I think people are sort of on D.D. Westbrook going into this week mm-hmm. a guy who was targeted more than 100 times last season, and again, was a value on this price, even with a far less competent quarterback. So um, I guess my perspective, if you're looking at this from a sports gambling uh, angle, I still like the Chiefs here. It's always weird to take uh, the road favorites early in the season like we just saw an absolute rock fight between the Packers and Bears last night so we know sometimes these oils or the the, uh, the teams aren't well oiled machine going into the season here but I still like the Chiefs uh, laying the three and a half and I think the Jags will be competent on offense but it wouldn't surprise me if they're not quite as good as, as people believe they will be.
0: Yeah, for sure. I'll take the team that we already know. They already know exactly what they're made of and have all played together before, as opposed to the team walking sure. with a new quarterback, a guy like Fournette, who was all over the place last year with injuries and suspensions. Two games he got thrown out of or had to sit because of suspensions. Like his season, you can't even look at his game log last year and make heads or tails of what the real plan was because they were just all over the place, just in game scripts as well. So maybe the Jack, maybe the Jags are ultimately improved with Foles, and I think they will be. And can it take a week or two to just get? You know, firing on all cylinders with new personnel, 100%. So I think I'm with you. I do that, that line. I think that minus three and a half is something that I would lay here with the Chiefs. I, I just because look, we know what we're getting with them, and this might be buying a little mu- too much on how much of an improvement folds over Bortles, which he is for sure. But I don't know. Give me, give me the team that we've seen it all from before. All right. Let's move on to uh, one of the biggest spread games of the week is that Washington goes in and plays Philadelphia. The Eagles are 10-point favors at home, favorites at home. This game is a 45 over/under, but a lot of that is coming up on the Eagle side. The, right now, the Redskins only projected for 17 and a half points. I believe that's either the lowest or second lowest of the slate. One of the two. It's it, nah, it's the second lowest. The Dolphins. The, the Dolphins. My goodness. Um, are they're at 16 points. The Eagles just have too many weapons at this point for DFS purposes. It feels like they have, you know, two, two or three running backs. They have a bunch of receivers with Jackson, Aguilar, and Alshon Jeffrey. They have, you know, even Dallas Goddard got some looks last year with Ertz there. We talked about Wentz a little bit. I mean, what do we do from DFS standpoint here with a team that looks like they're going to be really good and maybe just not really DFS good?
1: Yeah. So for starters, I don't think I would touch the running game for cash game purposes. Uh, right now, it looks like Miles Sanders and Jordan Howard may be splitting carries. You know, people like the talent on Sanders, but you have to believe that they're paying Howard for a reason. So I, I don't think I would touch that. I think Deshaun Jackson clutters things up a little bit in the receiving game as well. Um, you know, Jeffrey and Ertz should be positioned more as the possession receivers here, uh, with Jackson being the deep threat. Uh, one thing, one stat I liked from Scott Barrett over at Pro Football Focus was that Wentz is actually, I think it was like the fourth most accurate quarterback in terms of throwing the deep ball, where uh, Jameis Winston, who was just throwing to Jackson, he was the fifth worst or the fifth least accurate uh, when it came to throwing the deep ball. So, you know, I'm kind of bullish on Jackson for that reason as the season sort of progresses. But one thing we've also seen is that these deep threat receivers, when they change teams, basically, unless it's Randy Moss, there's always a learning curve initially. You know, like you just have to really be on the same page to hit guys streaking down the field so uh, I don't know if you need to do it this week Um, I still do like Wentz just sort of overall I think he's cash game viable on both sites actually especially if you don't believe as much as our system does in some of the running quarterbacks Uh, big believer in the Eagles offense and I think I'm comfortable right now taking a wait and see approach and figuring out where the chips fall because to your point a lot of different weapons here and a lot of different directions they could go.
0: I think you'll see a lot of ownership on the Eagles' defense uh, on this slate, especially on Fanduel, where they're really not all that expensive. I believe they are in our top overall lineup as we speak. So uh, it's kind of it's kind of close on on Fanduel with some of these teams or so, with some of these defenses because there's a lot of good ones. But I think you when you're t- looking at pretty strictly targeting a team defense, you can safely wipe out most of the guys on the other side. The receiving core for Washington's a mess. Running games all over the place, so I think we can pretty effectively skip the rest of this, The rest of them, uh, and like this might be just too many mouths to if you like I said, but Eagles defense probably sees some ownership. Browns are five and a half point favorites, uh, at home against Tennessee. They are obviously with the darlings of the offseason with the Odell Beckham trade. Uh, they solidify, they get another, full, they'll get a full year bigger Mayfield, obviously, here. And it really looks like Nick Chubb. He's really the only guy in the backfield to start off the season here. Kareem Hunt suspended, and they shipped Duke Johnson out. How close is Chubb here for to a cash game play for us? They're five-and-a-half-point favorites, so we like to see that. That's butting up against the nice home favorite line that we've talked about. Um, and he's basically been an elite carry guy from, what, from the point he took over last year as a starter. Are we seeing him as a really viable cash game play at, at a position at running back that does look pretty crowded right now?
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, again, to, to say pro football focus, you know, we, we love those guys over there. They do a really, really good job of sort of, you know, looking between the lines and trying to figure out the, uh, the, the, the stats that will help us project future performance, I guess, is the way uh, that I would interpret that. And they rated Chubb super highly. I mean, in terms of how hard he was to tackle, uh, yards after contact, all that sort of stuff. Uh, if you believe that the Browns will be better this season, you know, with Baker walking into the season with the starting job with some new weapons around them. Um, You know, they just trying to cover both Landry and Odell Beckham Jr. is going to be hard on a lot of teams and it's going to mean they can't sit on the run. So uh, Chubb here in a game where they are favored, I think he could be, uh, he's another one of these guys that just could wind up being a thousand dollars more expensive in a week or two. So certainly week one is the time where we know the least, but there's the highest potential for value. And so as you're making your big tournament lineups in particular, um, you can make a lineup this week that would you would have to pay 15% more for next week and Chubb is definitely in that category guys for me.
0: When he took over as starter last year from that point on, I think it was week a uh, week seven. Um, he ranked fourth in the league in rushing yards and third overall in carries. So they just gave him the ball a ton. And now, and again, Duke Johnson was on that team. So they just don't have backup running backs. They're waiting for Hunt to come back, and they just don't really have. I think is the guy behind him right now. I can't imagine he's going to see a lot of, of run here unless they're way up or just to give Chubb a spell. So I think if, if he finished the week as the most overall just carries on the ground, I wouldn't be shocked, especially if – I don't think he's a favorite to do it, but it just wouldn't shock me if he ended up being that guy, just the way this game script could play out. Uh, Odell Beckham is going to get shadow coverage here. Um, are we uh, I'm very high on him with the Baker Mayfield thing? Just because I think in the end talent wins, even with these new these new looks. We talked a little bit about him before, but how is he a cash game play for you at all, or is just kind of do we do is he a guy we probably should just take a week
1: a week to wait and see? I, I'm not going to mess with Beckham for cash games. I don't think, and the reason for this is not because I don't like Beckham. I think he's a super valuable commodity going forward. Uh, he could be a $9,000 wide receiver in very short order. It's just, again, when we're talking about DFS, the thing I want to, I'm going to be reminding people all season is that you don't have to pick every guy, right? Like you don't need to hate a guy to not want to play him in your cash game lineups. And when I compare him to someone like Julio Jones, for instance, going into this week, uh, Julio Jones, uh, in a matchup with Xavier Rhodes, uh, we'll probably get to that game very shortly here. Um, you know, I think you pointed out on our last podcast that Rhodes might be sort of overrated on a name value basis right now. Jones led the league in targets last season. He was 100 more receiving yards than the second place finisher. Uh, He's obviously a a very considerable red zone target there. I don't think I'm going to be able to play two of the top tier wide receivers. And given that Jones is just a hair more expensive on FanDuel and a flat 8,000 on DraftKings, it's going to be really hard for Beckham to outseat him for me in that top overall wide receiver spot. Now again, for big tournaments, if you have a cash game lineup with Julio Jones, and you can plug Beckham in and pay up slightly elsewhere. I think that's a, a very viable strategy. But I also think you know you're not sort of you're not really getting any, away with anything on Beckham. Like a lot of people see him as this huge upside guy uh, with Baker as the quarterback. So unless you just think coming out of the gate he's the best wide receiver in the NFL, which that's not a terrible position to take, uh, but I'm just not going to be sticking my neck up that way for cash games this week.
0: Yeah, I think if I were to choose between the two um, situations here for a tournament, I think I'd go to Chubb and maybe like pair Chubb with the Cleveland defense for GBPs. But, uh, running backs and uh, team defense are cor- do have correlation. So, um, and I don't think among some of these other defenses, I don't think Cleveland's going to see the same ownership as like, say, Philadelphia, or, you know, we're going to talk about these other ones like Baltimore and Seattle later on. But uh, I think they kind of fall into that next category down. So... Um, I don't mind. I don't mind that matchup. I don't have really any, any interest on the Tennessee. So anything on Tennessee that you see that I'm not, I, I, this is not a situation that excites me much.
1: Nah, it's a sort of an unknown running back situation right now. The wide receivers in Tennessee have always broken our hearts. I suppose Corey Davis is still a big upside guy if it all comes together for them. They have Adam Humphreys now too, who I, I think is a guy that people shouldn't sleep on. Uh, a guy who has, you know, when given the opportunity, been able to be a very capable possession receiver. So. Um, and it's not like you're going to play him at, at, for cash games this week or anything. Again, a wide receiver that's relatively unaccomplished on a brand new team. But he is 5,200. And if you think he slides in and fills sort of that position role, uh, then you know he could be worth something. But yeah, for cash game purposes, not really.
0: Yep, uh, I think I'm with you there. Again, like don't, don't mind the defense than the running game. If you're headed to a game this year and you need tickets, there's only one place to go, and that's vivid seats. It's super easy. You go to the App Store, download the Vivid Seats app. You use the promo code Overtime. That's O-V-E-R-T-I-M-E. And you save up to $100 on all ticket purchases, first-time customers only. Once again, Vivid Seats. Use the promo code Overtime. It's that easy. Get tickets. Go to the game. You won't regret it. Team, that I want to get your thought on here is because we've nodded to them a little bit in the cash game. Uh, article the other day, is it, well, it's, it's the Rams are go in and play Carolina. This game uh, at times was a pick excuse so me, started at 2.5 uh, for the Rams, then went down to a pick and now it's just minus 1 for the Rams on the road against Carolina. Todd Gurley. Todd Gurley was just the – all was, I don't know if he ended up being like the all-time best fantasy running back last year, but it had to be pretty close, and then totally disappeared in the playoffs because of injury. Where do we re- put him going into week one – for the Rams now, because at 7,900 last year, he would have been like 100% owned if it was week, you know, 14 of last season. For the considering what his price is, and now it's down to a point where, you know, you I don't know a 60, 7,600 on FanDuel and he's 79 on DraftKings, and it just seems like there's so many question marks. And would it have surprised you for him to just get 25 touches in this game? I don't know. Like I'm all over the place with Gurley. He, I go back and forth between he's like this is so cheap for him. And he's just going to split carries and we're going to get, you know, just devastated on the price. I just don't, I really don't know where to land here. On Gurley. Yeah,
1: I'm kind of with you there. It's it would be really nice to be able to get some clear information on what the coaching staff thought about Gurley right now, because on one hand, yeah, he was like a chalk play at 9,500 and stuff like that last season uh, when everything was cruising. And uh, and it was totally justified. You know, he was the, by five, the highest floor guy and oftentimes the highest ceiling play as well. And if you would have told us that you know, five games later, essentially in his career, that he would be $2,000 cheaper, you'd play him without even questioning it. I think a lot of us were shook by him suiting up during the playoffs, but then not being the bell cow back. That's not a role that we had seen Gurley inhabit at any point in his career. And just knowing that the Rams were willing to do that when, the absolute, when absolutely everything was on the line was certainly pretty troubling. Uh, that being said, CJ Anderson not there anymore. Uh, they have some other pieces now. Um, like Daryl Henderson, I don't think that they're going to just start the season by a running back by committee. Um, but you never know with these teams, right? Like, have the Cowboys learned their lesson with Ezekiel Elliott, or are they just going to pound him again? Are have the Rams learned their lesson with giving a guy the ball thirty times a game all season long, or are they just ready to roll it back? Like, I, it's just impossible to read their mind. So, um, going into this season, Gurley <laughs> really is such a value that. He, he's the type of guy where you will get a little pit in your stomach if he's 40% owned and you don't have him. Uh, and that being said, I just don't know if I can confidently make that recommendation. I, I think he's a good play. I think if it comes up in our system with on like 20 touches, if he comes up as a value, then I'd be comfortable playing him. But uh, but yeah, it certainly feels a little unknown right now.
0: Yeah, that's kind of where he is right now, honestly. Like he's showing up in something like 20% of lineups. I, I, I think it's on more on FanDuel than on DraftKings. Right, right, right now he's on. He's in the fifth. O- excuse me, the fourth overall Fanduel lineup, and. Yeah. It's not like you're paying and – and one of the other guys that it's toggling between is Christian McCaffrey on the other side here simply because yeah. when you're getting some other sort of cheaper middle-tier values, and we've talked about some of them will keep going, and especially a wide receiver, where we rolled through some of the problems with some of these wide receivers already. Beckham's got a bad matchup. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we're worried about Tyreek Hill, plus he has a bad matchup. Some of the other just grade-A wide receiver one kind of guys just simply aren't on the slate. And so now you're just you're talking about spending down at wide receiver and you're going to have to maybe just end up spending up at running back a little bit. And then you get like Mike guys like Mike Evans who were just our question marks through and through. So this is where we stand with Gurley and McCaffrey kind of the same thing. McCaffrey's really really expensive. That guy was all, was a good running back and a good wide receiver last year, right? So like it kind of he if you talk about a game script independent guy, McCaffrey is the almost the very definition of this. Uh, Gurley kind of was as well last season, but McCaffrey had 124 targets. He had 219 carries. Really, it was like him and Saquon, and then Zeke with like the with the crazy guys. But the McCaffreys, the the fact that he got so many targets in a game that is pretty close, it, could you see him just having a hugely high floor? Just cause he's going on the field for every single snap, like because he's another guy that our system is flirting with specifically on FanDuel mm-hmm. uh, about just m- maybe just making him a cash game play.
1: Yeah, I mean absolutely. I think as I'm looking at our cash game lineups right now. The big question winds up being, what, like, how expensive of a guy do you want at that slot? So, you know, this is uh, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here, but right now the difference is essentially, do you want to take Christian McCaffrey and then like a mid-tier wide receiver like Adam Thielen, let's say, or do you want to take Todd Gurley and uh, Julio Jones? And I think that's, right now, I I would lean the Gurley Jones direction if I had to choose, uh, just because I think you get. Basically, like who do you think is more of a sure thing? Gurley or receivers in the seventy five hundred dollar range, you know, guys like Thielen uh, or Keenan Allen or um, you know, you go down a little bit, uh, uh well you go down too far, it's just not not relevant anymore. But I think I would take Gurley over Keenan Allen and Adam Thielen, and if that's the case, then you get to go Julio Jones at wide receiver. That that seems like a pretty good trade off to me.
0: Yeah, and I think that's where we might just end up getting caught because our specifically our system is basically totally locked on four or five guys we've talked about like Didi's is one of them. We'll talk about some of the other guys in a second here. But um yeah, I think that's going to be where the decision that's where the decision's going to be made and I, none of them feel all that great. I think I do feel uh, the the floor on McCaffrey at this point does feel high enough that he probably is worth the cost especially if the game stays close like i said it's a very thin spread here with the second highest over under the whole slate um but it's this is a close one what about the receivers in this game this there you know we have the rams receivers woods cook and cup is fully back from the acl tear at this point on the panther side it's probably a little less clear as it's always been with cam newton uh, with cam newton wide receivers they just don't seem to just the, his accuracy and just the, the way they the way they throw the ball just doesn't seem to lend itself to maintaining just great high floors from the wide receiver core. Any any interest here from any of the any part of the passing game on either side?
1: Yeah, I think you're basically on the Ram side. You're hoping to guess right. Uh, this is a dance we attempted many times last season, usually unsuccessfully, and most often when one of the big three there between Cooks, Woods, and Cup was injured. Um, also, I just think it's cool that they have three last names that just are regular nouns too. Like you got Cooks, Woods, and a Cup. I just think that's funny. It's funny to me. I don't know if it's funny to anyone else.
0: Assume, I, <laughs> assume I'm laughing. Yeah, just assume. <laughs> I, just ass- for assume the sake I'm of
1: efficiency, laughing. we should continue on the podcast. <laughs> God. Um, but I think yeah, you're you're going to be hard pressed to guess right between those three in any given week. The Rams, they have the ability, and the you know the. The inclination to just play matchups on a week to week basis. So, you know, maybe as you dig into the cornerback lineups, uh, figuring out who's going to line up against who, that uh, you can make a better guess than I can. Um, right now, the Rams or the Panthers, I think, do have some interesting big tournament upside. The wide receiver spread is a little thinner in Carolina this year. Uh, I think DJ Moore comes, you know, will, will wind up being the best receiver there. He's pretty cheap. If you think he could turn into a You know, 7500 seventy-five hundred dollar wide receiver. If things break right, I think that's a possibility. And I think Greg Olson is always lurking as a big tournament tight end. Um, You know, he's now officially old and was sort of disappearing completely by the end of the season. But who knows? You know, starting the season fresh, could he turn in one of those like seven targets, two touchdown games? Sure. So, and I think I think people are sort of totally off it as well. So that's sort of a sleeper big tournament pick. But yeah, unfortunately, outside of Christian McCaffrey. Who's essentially the whole offense at this point. Uh there's just not a lot to love on Carolina side.
0: Two best matchups from each team. DJ DJ Moore matching up against Marcus Peters would be would represent their best uh opportunity in the passing game. And then actually it is Cooper Cup that's gonna line up in the slot. And we see this time and time again. If you're a, if you're a heavy slot receiver that almost always is the best place to get the best matchup, right? Because most teams throw their, their worst of their three cornerbacks into the slot. That's just, an, uh, unless you're getting shadow coverage someone following you in there, that's just going to be the case. So you can get these slot guys, if you have competent slot wide receivers like Cup that are going to be targeted in the passing game, that typically will be the best the best chance for a matchup. And that's not that's not 100% true, but Cup- also I mean, it can be, but
1: oftentimes teams also don't put their best receiver in the uh, slot too. 100%. So it kind of yep. winds up, you know, working itself out that way. So that's where I think looking at historical precedent. Like I'm I'm usually more interested in matchups among the outside receivers, but um it, yeah. that's it, true, that is
0: true. But and then there are some teams that do it. Like Keenan Allen lines up a lot in the slot for the for the Chargers, right? And he's their best receiver. I'm just, there are I'm just, I'm not saying it's every time. I'm saying when we have the guys that are actually competent at it. Not every team has this, right? Like not every team employs this kind of strategy. Um a lot of them do slot them out wide. But there are some teams that that line up their guy. Like, you know, D.D. Westbrook lines up a lot in the slot, too. So um, anyway, just kind of throwing it out there. I'm I'm mostly just worried about Cup because, like, these guys come back for injury. I'm always just, I'm happy to just take sort of a wait-and-see approach on them as well. So, all right, let's move on. Falcons move in and play the Vikings. I, I have some questions for you in this game. We already mentioned the Julio Jones piece. We talked briefly, I think, yesterday about Dalvin Cook. We talked about so many guys that sometimes I can't remember how long we've talked about them or not. Um, but I do I do know we wrote up Dalvin Cook as a cash game and did talk about him yesterday. But you mentioned Adam Thielen here. Uh, I, the, our system wants to play him, uh, and I get why, because it seems like he should be a heavily targeted guy, and he really was for the first half of the season, and he really wasn't for the second half of the season. And I just don't know which guy we're getting at this point in the offense because if you're looking at weeks one through something like one through seven from last year this price looks like a joke if you're looking through the last seven weeks of the season then this price looks way too high on Thielen so where do you land on him I guess tangentially digs as well the passing game because he's a guy that's kind of creeping around here just based on his salary and I'm very worried based on like what kind of he did over the second half of the season last year
1: Yeah, I don't feel the need to be a week early on Adam Thielen, I don't think. Uh, I think we can sort of assume that the second half of last season is the plan going forward. And if he pleasantly surprises us, I think, you know, given that we have the track record of him putting together in a truly elite stretch in terms of being targeted and turning those targets into fantasy production, I think we can be quick to readjust our expectations. But right now, I would not want to assume that he's just going to go back to something that he stopped being midway through last season.
0: Yeah, that's, that's going to be a tough one. That, that's just going to mean some dime more guidance on his projection too because he just is showing up in a lot of lineups right now. So I guess you're we're saying something like that it's maybe worth the extra 500 to pay up for a guy like Keenan Allen. I'm just kind of looking for other guys in his price range because once we start getting it set at other positions, we are just in a numbers crunch. Uh, this is why to you don't setup.
1: have to – this is like the point I was making earlier, which is that you don't have to pay this amount for a wide receiver this week. Like you can just grab Gurley at uh, running back – I think slightly cheaper than him as well, our system is looking. You know, guys like Kenny Galladay, Chris Godwin, um, there are guys below 7,000 that I think are totally playable too. And obviously, they free up money to be spent elsewhere in a week where pricing tends to be a little tighter since there's fewer injury um, or fewer opportunities created by injury. So, yeah, I just don't think you need to risk it with the right now.
0: Yeah. Uh, what, uh, what about the other guys here? We have uh, you have Diggs, obviously. You have Rudolph as well um, in the passing game. We've cur- we haven't we have actually spoken too much about quarterbacks so far, I'm realizing. Um, mm. We've kind of been rolling through some of the other position plays. I don't know if it's just because we've been sort of just locked into the quarterbacks we want to play for cash. And I'm not sure if we're just doing a disservice by not mentioning some of these other quarterbacks in terms of G- GBV upside, because a lot of them... And we probably glossed over a lot of them already, but uh, any interest on either side uh, of this game in terms of quarterbacks too? Kirk Cousins uh, did have some weeks. Matt Ryan put up near historic numbers last season, was just overshadowed by the fact that Patrick Mahomes was also in the league. Um, right. Ryan was easily the second highest overall fantasy quarterback on the season. Uh, he beat out Roethlisberger by something like 15 points over the course of the season. He was 70 points behind <laughs> behind Mahomes. That's why no. That's why no one talks about him. But this guy did put up 5,000 passing yards, 35 touchdowns, only threw seven interceptions, a five to one uh, TD yeah. interception rate. These are, these are numbers are phenomenal. Uh, coming in here as underdogs, they could end up throwing a lot. Do you like uh, do you like Ryan at all here or any part of the Falcons' uh, offensive attack?
1: Yeah, sure. So I think the, one of the reasons that we don't need to focus on quarterbacks as much. I mean, once you pick your cash game quarterbacks, uh, I think it should be sort of implied that if you like the skill position players on a team, that if you're playing in a big tournament, you should probably pair them with their quarterback, right? So like there are very few quarterbacks in the league that we would consider, you know, playing without any skill position players stacked with them. I think this was last year, might've been the year before, but I remember looking at this data uh, after a podcast we did and it was like 16 of the last 17 weeks the, t- the best possible lineup had a quarterback and wide receiver pairing in it. So mm-hmm. um, if you're, if you're playing a big tournament and you have Julio Jones on your team, it's just not a terrible idea to have Matt Ryan too, <laughs> right? Because if Jones goes off for one of those 200 yard, three touchdown weeks, we'll guess who threw him the ball. So um, it's not that we dislike any of these quarterbacks. It's just that there's very few quarterbacks, you know, outside of the true running quarterbacks, basically uh, like Lamar Jackson, um, that you're going to play without the guys who are on their team too. So, uh, yeah that's uh, that's definitely worth pointing out here real quick. Um, in terms of this game, I think that uh, I think we we summed up Minnesota nicely I think on the Atlanta side you know one of the major questions going into this week is what the real plan is on the running back side right because you know we've talked about this many many times when you would see either Freeman or Tevin Coleman go out in the past you know the the chalk would jump on whoever was left over only to have some other guy come out of the woodwork and split carries with who you thought would be the primary back going into this season uh, we have Freeman and Edo Smith you know like what's the what's the running back situation like in Atlanta because this is a high-flying offense who does like to run the ball especially in the red zone do you think Freeman is he like criminally underpriced here is he even a cash game consideration or are you just a little bit too worried based on the track record of this coaching staff
0: yeah, I'm I'm glad they're underdogs to start the season, so I don't need to focus too much on the run game, at least from a safety perspective. So that from that standpoint, I'm happy to just let that be the reason. I don't think about using a guy like Freeman in, in, in any of kind of like safe contest. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. Like they just don't, they haven't seemed to just want to give one guy the lion's share of the carries, and that most teams are rolling this direction at this point, and the Falcons are just one of them. So. I just don't see a reason to be overly bullish. Look, is Freeman going to be a goal line back for sh- almost for sure? Um, is he going to be the down and close guy? Yes, he's going to be on the early C- on. The- he's also just going to be on um, the early snaps as well. So there is, a- I guess, a decent floor for him, if not some upside. But he's just, I, I know, we've just seen too many times that Atlanta just doesn't want to give one guy the ball 20 times. That's it. Like that's just they've they've yeah. been through this. We've been through this time and time again. And I, there's no reason to kind of change the tune now. Uh, like we, we did mention jo- Julio Jones as being in a good matchup and not being as worried about the shadow coverage here. I'm not as high in Calvin Ridley. Thought that was some of that was pretty super run hot stuff from him last year, especially in the touchdown. So I wouldn't expect, you know, his, if you looked at his week-to-week snap counts, they just he was really getting out-snapped by, obviously, Jones and Sanu as well. He just isn't on the field as much as these guys. So if you want to buy on him continuing that touchdown pace, all, all for it. But that's not the direction I really want to go. All right, let's keep rolling. This game has a, it started with a 38-and-a-half over-under, snuck its way Ooh. up to 40-and-a-half. The Bills and the Jets, uh, the Bills cut LaShawn McCoy. They walk into the season again with Josh Allen, who did put up some pr- pr- fantasy viable weeks over the second half of the season more than the first. A lot of it had to do with his legs, although he did have some uh, did have some bigger touchdown games as well. He's a pretty inaccurate dude. They did get John Ross in the offseason, I guess, to stretch the field. Alan can throw the deep ball, so I guess that's somewhat interesting. And then on jet side, they obviously signed Le- Le'Veon Bell, and they bring in Darnold back. They have a lot of the same wide receiver core. I read, We read some notes that Bell is just not going to enter the season as the overall, you know, every down back. They just they said that's already going to kind of go to Ty Montgomery as well as they ease Bell back into, into things. That, to me, did not sound like coach speak. That just sounded like the actual truth. Like, are you willing to believe that in this case? Because right when pricing came out, I was like, oh, my God, Levian Bell is such a great value here, even for a new situation. He's the new shiny new toy. They're going to run him a lot. But they kind of said that's not going to be the case. Is a note like that enough to just downgrade him? Because he wasn't every lineup guy. But as soon as I read that, I just instantly just took him down to, like, 13 carries and four targets or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, well, it's rest. the same
1: thing, same thing as the Devontae Freeman thing, right? It's like um, I'm – when when I'm thinking about DFS football, I'm looking to marry people. Like, I don't need to just marry every one-night stand who comes along, right? So, like, a guy like Bell, all I need to hear is just one red flag, and I'm like, I'm just out for cash games. Who cares, you know? Like, I just don't need to sit and wring my hands about it because I'm just on a full slate before we get to bye weeks here. I'm just going to be able to find someone who doesn't have those question marks. So, Bell just simply will not be in my cash game lineups uh, going into this week. That being said... It wouldn't shock anyone, you know, especially in these incompetent organizations. Like they, will just get carried away sometimes, right? So, like, don't be surprised if Bell looks phenomenal on the first series. If he just winds up getting left out there because everyone forgot that the plan was to not leave him on the field the whole game, right? So, um, I see. I think he's definitely fantasy viable from that perspective. Again, another guy whose price could instantly jump to nine thousand as soon as we see that first one hundred and fifty total yards, two touchdowns sort of week. So, um, so definitely keeping my eye out there. Um, I'm, I think I'm certainly less high on the Jets, even in Vegas, in terms of the season-long totals and whatnot. Um, I just need to see it, like. and I know that there are guys who you know, watch the linemen and stuff like that who really believe in Sam Darnold's future. That's great. Maybe he'll be good someday. For the purposes of DFS, I just need to see it first. There's just no reason, unless you're just talking about trying to win the DraftKings million or something like that, that I need to be a week early. I don't see a logical stack. I don't think Darnold can be a standalone guy, uh, just because he doesn't do enough with the legs. Um, so not interested there. But one guy that I do think is great on a standalone basis is Josh Allen. Um, you you kind of glossed over him earlier. This guy he was uh, was he a poor man's Lamar Jackson when it came or it were almost Lamar Jackson's equal on the ground? Let me just give you the last six weeks here. Yeah, one, two, three, four, five, six. In the last six weeks, he had nine or more carries, and five of those. He scored five total touchdowns, um, and he topped 90 yards in four of those as well. That guy's a half a running back, two-thirds of a running back, and he also chips in 200 yards passing a week too. Like, I don't know, man. This guy scored 42 points against Miami in the final game of the season. Uh, I think Josh Allen, quietly a huge upside guy, and I think one of those guys too. If you don't like any of the quarterback wide receiver stacks or you're just making tons of GPP lineups, I think some of those Josh Allen, naked quarterback lineups could be pretty intriguing here.
0: Yeah, so from week 11 on, he was second only to Lamar Jackson in rushing yards. Jackson had 556, Allen had 476 in that. By the way, that was in half the attempts, right? Uh, Lamar Jackson had 119 attempts during that span. Allen had 54. They are, you know, they're different in the sense that those Allen ones were less designed and more just kind of like, I don't see anything. I maybe don't know totally what's going on and um, I'm just going to take off. Whereas I am mostly say that because Lamar Jackson's were just designed runs, right? Like I don't, the Allen's weren't as much, but he does, he clearly has, he's not an accurate passer. But he has the upside. He threw for eight touchdowns in that span, which wasn't, wasn't terrible. Um, and I think he had one of those games was a three-touchdown game. Yeah, no, I think he, for a standalone guy, anytime you can get this many rushing yards, you can just be a standalone quarterback, right? Like, that's just, that that's really the long and short of it. The fact that he, even if that was maybe, some of it was sort of, quote-unquote, luck around the rushing yards, like it wasn't necessarily planned, the fact that he can still do it, and that he's willing to make me make up for mistakes by using his legs then I think I'm all for it yeah I you know my brother-in-law Casey loves wants to play Josh allen on cash I don't think that that's a bridge too far for me just based on the the slower matchup the team's terrible I don't really have interest there but uh overall yeah I'm with you. There's, there aren't there aren't many guys that can get this many rushing yards in that short a period of time he's one of the very few guys like you know, he had 200 more yards than Deshaun Watson during that time on the ground. So, yeah, I'm with you. The rest of the team's terrible. Um, De- Devin, I guess Devin Singletary, Frank Gore, T.G. Eldon, that's just going to be a mishmash platter of bad – this team – this, this is, if you watch football, you really can't watch this game. All right, Bengals go into play the Seahawks. Seahawks, the other 10-point favorite here at home. Against the Bengal team without AJ Green, looking like they're just headed for the basement again. The game does have a 44 a forty-four over/under right now. It started at seven and a half, uh, minus seven and a half for the Seahawks, but it is up to minus ten. We talked about Chris Carson. I think Chris Carson is going to be absolute chalk this week. Maybe one of the maybe the highest on running back on the slate. Uh, but he's sixty-six hundred on Fanduel, and he is sorry, I just had it. He is fifty-seven hundred on DraftKings. I think the really just industry wide, this is guys. The people are not going to miss that he's just had a ton of rushes, and they are a huge favorite, so I, maybe not the highest on running back, but if not, pretty darn close. After him, though, we t- did talk about a little bit about Russell Wilson. Uh, any further things to add here? We talked about how he just, didn't, the receiving core wasn't necessarily as <laughs> prolific, although I guess it's just Doug Baldwin less than the rest of the, he's never had a ton of guys to throw to. Any other thoughts here, uh, or and anything to, at all to like on the Cincinnati side?
1: <laughs> well, I mean, Again, if we're just in that big tournament territory and you believe that there are going to be some chalkish guys in that $6,900 range, you know, both Godwin and Galladay on FanDuel are that exact price point. Both of them are getting a lot of pre-week one buzz. Uh, Tyler Boyd is still there. I mean, Boyd is not, you know, probably, he he didn't live up to the hype. He had some weeks where he was a greater than 50% owned in cash games last season, never totally came together, but there were stretches where he was getting eight to 10 targets a game, you know, this kind of tailed off towards the end of the season. But I think certainly for big tournament purposes, you know, you don't have to look too far to see like nine catches for 138 yards and a touchdown. Uh, This guy definitely has a big tournament winning upside. Uh, The Bengals very, very low on options here. Uh, They are underdogs. Makes you believe that they're not going to be able to lean on Joe Mixon quite as much um, in spite of Mixon being a good running back last season. So, yeah, I think Tyler Boyd, uh, kind of a guy you can look at. But... Yeah, outside of him, I mean, I don't know if you talked about Russell Wilson. We nodded to him in the cash game uh, podcast, although he didn't wind up making our article. Another guy that you can consider as one of those naked quarterbacks. You know, pair him with nobody on the team and hope for the best. So, but yeah, outside of Boyd and Wilson, I don't think I'm going to have a lot of exposure to this game. Well, besides Carson, think, who will be in literally all of my cash game lives. <laughs> so, yeah, let, I think let me let me say that. But, but I mean, outside of the obvious play there.
0: Yeah, but I think that speaks a lot to just the nature of this game, and I think you can easily pair Carson with the Seahawks uh, defense. I think a lot of people yeah. would do that for cash as well. 4500 for the Seahawks, even on FanDuel, with the amount of savings you get in some other spots doesn't really feel all that expensive, to be honest with you. And there's, they're one of the teams that's just in an elite spot for a defense here at home. We know what Seattle can do at home as well. So uh, this feels like complete uphill sledding for the Bengals for good reason. Yeah, so Carson, Seahawks, you can see that as pretty high ownership. in GPPs. All right, Uh, we talked a little bit about our thoughts about the Andrew Luck retirement two podcasts ago, so if you want to (laughs) grab onto that, go and go to two podcasts before this and skip ahead to like the 30-minute mark, and you'll hear both of us rant about how the the Andrew Luck, by the way, pro-Andrew Luck uh, rants at the end of that podcast. We won't go back through that again. But now the Colts do head in to Los Angeles to play the Chargers. This game started at minus three for the Chargers. Luck retires. Now it's minus six and a half. The game has a 44 and a half over under that came down really significantly from 48 down to 44 and a half but again that's because the Andrew Luck piece isn't there anymore so um, take that for what it's worth what do we think about here the Chargers running game I guess we talked about it a little bit yesterday with the Eckler Justin Jackson piece their offensive line does look like it's going to have some pretty significant problems this season so we can maybe you know figure out what that means for us because minus six and a half would be a point where we want to start targeting running backs and i nodded to it yesterday that i'm still just a little concerned that we don't really understand what the plan here is is in los angeles
1: yeah exactly i think if you're trying to shoot the moon on upside for big tournaments this is an appropriate risk to take i think otherwise we're probably just going to wait and see Uh, there's some chance this often happens with the four o'clock games that pricing for the following week has already sort of been determined so you know maybe Eckler goes out there and has 25 touches to Jackson's three, uh, but the prices for next week are already sort of fixed, then we can get a value going forward. So it's certainly a situation to monitor, uh, but not one we really need to take a lot of risks on. And one thing I should point out too, because I think this applies to some of the other running back by committee situations that we're sort of keeping an eye on, uh, let's say like Tennessee or, um, or Atlanta or something like that. One of the key things to look at here is not so much total carries, but the ratio of both snaps and touches, right? So let's say that for some reason Atlanta gets blown out uh, or they just lean on the passing game. But if Freeman gets 10 carries and the next highest guy gets two, you could pretty reliably say that the plan was to make him the bell cow back, right? But just the game script didn't allow for it. Uh, so that's, that's really the thing you want to be keeping an eye on as you progress through this week. What's, what's the ratio? How, how often are guys on the field? How often are they being given the ball not in an absolute level, although that matters, but in a relative level too. So, um, so yeah, that, that's basically the approach I'm going to take for the Chargers here. I mean, I assume they're going to win, but regardless of how that shakes out, I'm really looking at who's on the field, how often are they touching the ball.
0: I do like Keenan Allen here. Um, now, I he only had double-digit targets in five games last year, but he still has an excellent conversion rate. He, was con- he caught something like 73% of his passes last year. Um, they... Are gonna, he's still the wide receiver one. He has one of the best matchups. Uh, he has the best matchup in terms of cornerback on this uh, for going against going against this Indianapolis secondary. He's close to a cash game play for me, if you, th- especially if you think that the offensive line is going to give them problems and that they're just going to need to get the ball out faster. So I, I think Allen feels like a safe, if not huge upside guy he you know he the routes he runs are just not deep downfield he's running a lot of just kind of safety routes and up and or underneath kind of routes but he converts so many of them and he is a target in the red zone he had five straight games with a touchdown last year so uh, he's actually probably their primary red zone target and we've nodded briefly the tight end to tie into hunter henry as well i think he sees if you do not go the kittle earth excuse me the kittle kelsey route on DraftKings, i think people will kind of target hunter henry in that 3900 dollar range. He's in our lineups right now on DraftKings specifically. So that's kind of where I'm looking on the Los Angeles side of things. I don't have much interest in the running game, but I do think the passing, specifically the receiver core, is interesting. Giants getting into the four o'clock. Oh, excuse me, that was the first four o'clock game. Oh, that was the second four o'clock game. that was Seattle was as well. So we're already well into the four o'clock games. Giants go in and play Dallas. Dallas seven and a half point favorites here. We know that Zeke is coming back and we know that Zeke is probably not going to get 100% of just, you know, ruin the guy's life kind of carries that he was getting uh, basically when we've seen him going full force for the Cowboys right now. So I, don't, I just don't know what we do with the Cowboys running game, except to say maybe next week is this week that Zeke starts taking over or they just see enough out of Tony Pollard and they say, we don't need to do this because maybe this is irresponsible for the guy that's going to be around here for the next six years. I'm a little worried about what we see uh, now that he has a six year contract to what we see from Zeke going forward. What are your thoughts on this game on either side? Saquon's another guy. He's got such a high floor, no matter the game scripts. But uh, give me your thoughts here on Giants going into Dallas.
1: Yeah, I think you have a real question between Saquon and Christian McCaffrey. Um, I think Saquon probably a little bit higher on the talent level, but I think McCaffrey's role probably a little bit more secure, just because you know that game's essentially a pick 'em, and the Giants are just going to be in these wacky game scripts every single week, probably. Where you know Saquon definitely was fine in those games last year but that just tends not to last forever. So, you know, I'm splitting hairs. I really love Saquon. I think he justified the number one overall pick for um, season-long fantasy purposes this year. But yeah, if I I have to pick between, you know, great options, I'll just take McCaffrey over him probably by a hair. Um, I think you have some other, you know, potentially interesting things in this game though. Uh, One guy I'm looking at for big tournaments is Sterling Shepard. Shepard is just 6,000 this week. Um, Obviously, Beckham's not there anymore. Golden Tate suspended for week one. Uh, Shepard's a guy. I mean, obviously, there's a a pretty terrible quarterback situation here, but we did see some flashes, right? I mean, we saw a couple nine-target weeks towards the end of the season. We saw a stretch early in the season uh, where he converted 16 out of 17 targets for 157 yards and two touchdowns. That was in the weeks three and four. So, you know, who knows? Maybe in Eli's old age, it's just that he gets worn down as the season goes along. Uh, not exactly sure there, but yeah, Shepard at 6,000, I think is definitely intriguing, uh, big tournament target. Uh, on the Dallas side, obviously, Amari Cooper showed flashes of brilliance. Um, you know, he had the foot thing right now, but he did practice fully on Wednesday. So I think basically that the plantar fasciitis is mostly cured at this point. I think you're still taking a risk. I don't think you want to go there for cash games, both on a game script level and the potential injury level, because plantar fasciitis. It's just not one of those things that it's like so hard to play through that, and it's just the the most painful thing possible when it flares up. So, um, so yeah, that's kind of my take. I think I think there's a, again a couple obvious guys, but not a whole lot beneath the surface here.
0: Michael Gallup was a guy that we actually did target from time to time last year and we it was kind of he was sort of feast or famine at times. I actually do like him going into this week. Another season under his belt. Dak was willing to throw to him last year, and there yeah. you know, if you believe any reports at a training camp or whatever, that people are really impressed with what they're seeing from Gallup. And again, this is a guy that was kind of we were flirting with playing with him playing him last year just because he was seeing some targets. He had a, and he had some real kind of downfield he had some real downfield skills and it just didn't always translate to, to putting it all together. So if you want to take some upside, you want to avoid some of the running game because you know they're not going to get enough out of Zeke and Pollard, or maybe you think the Giants just keep it a little bit of close, I actually don't mind Gallup as a probably very under-owned kind of guy, especially if the rest of the receiving core is banged up. Um, all right, let's keep moving through the rest of these games. We're almost finished with the main slate. Uh, Lions go in and play the Cardinals. Lions are slight two-and-a-half-point favorites here. Uh, Did I skip? I think I skipped a game. Yeah, I'm going to go back to a 1 o'clock game because I just realized I skipped one. We'll go back in a second, but we'll start with this one. Lions uh, play the Cardinals. Cardinals, obviously, the offseason, full of changes here. New head coach, first-round draft pick in Kyler Murray, who's going to open the season as a starter. Uh, David Johnson, hopefully, is on a team with a real offense now, though I guess that remains to be seen. And then we talked a little bit about the question marks around Kerry and Johnson, whether he's going to be a full-time runner for the Lions, and then Kenny Galladay as well. Anything else to add, for the, at least from the Lions side, that we did not add yesterday? And I guess just give me some of your thoughts here on the Cardinals, what we do with a team that is essentially totally different than what we saw last year.
1: Yeah, so the, my first note on the Cardinals is, I think we just have to slow down a little bit. Like, I get that they changed the two most important roles on the team, which is the head coach and the quarterback. That's great. We've also seen tons of quarterbacks come up and not be quite ready to just step in and just dominate and I'll also say that they I mean a team with a negative 200 point differential last season by far the worst in the NFL like that you're not two moves away from being a good team at that point right so you know maybe the rest of the infrastructure has changed as well maybe people are just feeling more positive generally you know maybe David Johnson and Larry Fitzgerald are ready for this big renaissance maybe okay like it's it's all possible what are you doing if this is your week one plan? I guess it's my my perspective, especially in cash. But even in big tournaments, there's such a there's such a hot name that you're not really. So this is another like concept that we'll throw out there throughout the season. But you know the idea of separation. Like, are you playing a guy who's going to have low ownership relative to the field? Not only low ownership though, low ownership relative to the potential upside. I think with teams like the Cardinals, like the Browns these preseason darlings who everyone thinks is going to be phenomenal based on this, side or the other change or addition. Everyone is aware of that, right? So, you know, David Johnson, Larry Fitzgerald, Kyler Murray, whoever else, I just don't think it's the week to do it. So with the obvious caveat that, yes, of course, the team has more upside than they did last season, I just don't think you need to go there uh, for big tournaments. You know who I will take, though? Just, you know, a team that's maybe sort of boring – They are returning mostly the same guys. Is the Detroit Lions. Uh, I was actually when I wrote up wide receivers for our cash game article this week, I did a side by side comparison of Kenny Galladay, who's getting, I think, relatively not that much preseason buzz, and uh, Chris Godwin, who's getting tons of preseason buzz. Uh, And basically, the tale of the tape shows that what Galladay did last season is probably what you can hope for in terms of upside for Godwin's season this year. So Galladay last season out-received him by more than 200 yards. He was targeted, uh, I think it was like 40 more times or something like that. Like Galladay was already what you hope Godwin could become. So and they're the same price going into this week. Obviously, Galladay, a fine matchup here uh, against Arizona. I really love Galladay. I happily play him in cash. I would love him for big tournaments, too, because I think, for whatever reason, people aren't as excited by him. Um, he's one of my favorite wide receiver plays, both for season-long fantasy, and just kind of going forward uh, for DFS at these current prices.
0: Yeah, so Patrick Peterson is suspended the first six weeks of the season. He's not going to be on the field uh, in the secondary. Yep. And if you look at the across-the-board ratings for these cornerbacks, this Arizona Cardinal cornerback uh, core easily has the lowest aggregate score uh, for cornerbacks just as, as a group. So um, I'm with you. I think Galladay's is a pretty kind of just an easy play here I don't really know another way to put it I famous last words in this because the guys had some hyper inefficient games at times like targets and just kind of disappear so and you can say that about a lot of receivers obviously especially guys in this tier that's why they exist in this tier but if you're looking for a place to, to grab them I, I'm with you I like Galladay in this situation I, sh- I if I was going to pick a di- and this isn't like news or anything but if I was going to pick a pretty high upside guy here I would I think David Johnson has a lot of upside here if things click like I'm not so high in Kyler Murray. I'm not interested in rookie quarterbacks coming right out of the gate. You know, Deshaun Watson's aside, like that seems like a once in a lifetime kind of thing. I'm not counting Patrick Mahomes as a rookie quarterback. We talked about that before he was, was in his second season. So that one to me doesn't count, but like Deshaun Watson's and the Carson Wentz of the world, I get that they can come around. I still would not say that this is the thing that often happens where you're just, you know, crazy fantasy viable right out of the gate. Um, but I do like the idea of David Johnson here, especially if they're going to use him a lot in the passing game and they can establish like anything on the ground because now people are at least a little bit worried about the quarterback play, which I'm not sure that's going to be the case or not. So, And also because I think he'll probably have the lowest ownership among the – I do think he's going to have the lowest ownership among the running backs that we have already discussed, right? Like between Barkley, McAfee, Carson, Gurley, David Johnson, Chubb, Cook. Uh, and maybe even Fournette. Like, I think that he sees the lowest ownership among that group, and for that reason, when we talked about low ownership plus some separation, I do think that the upside is there for him from a GPP perspective. I'm not interested in doing it for cash. Um, and okay, yeah, we covered both. I did skip over. I was like, wow, we, I feel like we missed like some big cash game plays that we had talked about but it's because I totally, for some reason, skipped over the Baltimore-Miami game. Uh, we talked at length about Lamar Jackson. I do think Lamar Jackson is going to be the chalk quarterback Going into week one, I think that's probably not any kind of secret. But one guy we actually didn't talk about on the podcast yesterday that I wanted your opinion on is Mark Ingram. So last year, Gus Edwards was the guy when they when they took over, when Lamar Jackson took over as starting quarterback. Gus Edwards was the guy. He ran a lot. He had one, some of the high, most rushing attempts in the league from the time he took over. And then during the offseason, they just went out and signed Mark Ingram to, you know, good money to be, come in and be the running back. This line has gone from four points to six and a half points as the Dolphins signal that they are just looking to probably lose on purpose for the rest of the season with some of their trades. Can we just stack Lamar, uh, Lamar Jackson and Mark Ingram? Because I'm pretty bullish on the idea that this is, has such a high floor for cash games. And Ingram has shown in the past that he is just a very, very good runner. Like he's just a good running back uh, that wasn't overtaxed when he was in New Orleans. Am I crazy to have ticked him up a little bit? Because now he's showing up in our cash games.
1: Yeah, I think Ingram's a good play this week. I I think there's reason for concern that the running, the rushing total for Jackson can't continue. Um, You know, it's just really hard to have your whole franchise depend upon a guy who's getting tackled 20 times a game. Like we've just seen that time and time again. And where teams are willing to take that risk at running back, understanding that You know, if you squint a little bit, the difference between Le'Veon Bell and James Conner really isn't that great. The difference between whoever your quarterback is and whoever your backup is, is almost always so much bigger that teams tend to realize eventually, like with Cam Newton, um, that you just can't do it forever. So I I actually do have a little bit of concern for Jackson in terms of his, you know, entire season, how that's going to come together. I do think it's a case where I'm willing to be, you know, a week late. I think as soon as we see like a four carry week out of Jackson, I'm just going to be out on him for good. Um, but, yeah, so I think bringing in Ingram is a signal that we're still going to stick with a run, you know, on every down, probably. Uh, I think he's a, a good pairing for Jackson. He uh, puts another threat back there that opposing defenses have to take seriously. And I think, it again, in a game that has literally the perfect game script, right? I mean, you're going up against a team that really just shouldn't be able to pass the ball. Uh, I think the Ravens are going to have plenty of opportunity to stick the ball on the ground and go Uh, Should be a decent number of possessions for them, too. So, yeah, I think that Ingram Jackson pairing makes sense of sense.
0: Yeah, so last, just last uh, little stat on this one Gus Edwards, as a starter, averaged five and a half yards per carry, which is excellent when he was in the game. And again, they just went out and just got someone else to take his spot. Like, so he was an effective runner, and they said, man, we might even have more upside on this if we just have. A legit, you know, I don't want to call Ingram a stud here, but like just a, a much better, just overall skill running back. Ingram did average five yards a carry for that Saints offense as, as well, so he was he was put in a good spot with New Orleans, Don't get me wrong, uh, but he's also a down and close runner, as we've seen. So I think there's touchdown equity here. I think that we could see him just get a lot of carries to start the season. Um, so I think, and I think that the floor between having those two guys in cash isn't cost prohibitive, and actually just gives you a fair, like I said, just a fair amount of safety in your labs. I actually expected you to maybe clap back at me a little bit on the Ingram thing because we hadn't talked about him and I did kind of bump his I did bump his touches up a little bit so oh, I was expecting you to not like it but I'm glad that you're on board buddy so that's one less thing that we need to talk about going forward all right last game on the slate as I scroll down here let's just I'm going to pause for 1 second while I get there is San Francisco and Tampa Bay this game is a 51 uh 51 over under started as a pickum now a slight minus 1 in favor of the Bucks Uh, Let's start on the Buck side. You wrote up Jameis Winston as a cash game quarterback. Uh, Walk me through the thought process. Again, not another guy that we talked about on the cash game podcast yesterday as we rolled through just trying to narrow the scope of the guys who were going to write up. Winston was not a guy that we talked about yesterday. Give me me your thoughts on him as a cash game
1: play. Yeah, so I wound up sticking him in the article. um, And if you read the words underneath the name, uh, the idea with Winston is that I don't think you're going to wind up playing him over Wentz or Jackson, at least as far as our system is concerned. Uh, but I do think he's a just an interesting play at his current price point. Um, you know, he's cheaper than guys like Baker Mayfield. He's in the same range as like Jimmy Garoppolo and Kyler Murray, Dak Prescott. And I think we've just seen plenty of upside out of Winston. Uh, and again, another one of these situations where a new coach could really wind up making a difference. And this is already a team that has some proven weapons, right? They have Evans. Uh, they have Godwin. Uh, they've seen as well that O.J. Howard, when really targeted, can be an effective piece. And I think that if you think a new coach, if they have nowhere to go but up, um, that a new coach coming into the situation could put Winston in a position to succeed. Uh, again, another pro football focused um, sort of thought on him was that Winston is at his least successful when he's just hucking the ball downfield. I think I cited that earlier in the podcast as well. Uh, but he's I got a lot of options in sort of the mid-range you know, with Godwin, with Howard, um, that can help him put together some big fantasy totals. Uh, this guy that topped 30 FanDuel points in two different games last season, uh, when he was actually on the field uh, on a fantasy point basis, um, he was a top six quarterback, um, and this is when he played more than half of the game, like sometimes he was just randomly pulled out of the game, or randomly plugged into the game, well, again, last season, uh, a complete nutter mess. I don't know how you even quarterback in those conditions anyway, like you know, he had to be one of the only quarterbacks in the league who had to who had no certainty around how many snaps he was going to get uh, going into a given game. So I think a little bit more stability there. Uh, the Bucks, you know, greater investment in him this season. I'm just bullish on him in general. And again, another guy that we've seen can go out there and win you a big tournament, but is not priced like that. So yeah, I like Winston. He might give you some heartache uh, throughout the season. I don't think I would actually recommend him for cash. Another guy who uh, is not running as much as some people thought he would, but yeah, in terms of just raw statistical upside talent, I think he's a great option.
0: Well here's what we're not at risk of. We're not at risk of starting Jameis Winston in cash and then having Ryan Fitzpatrick come in at halftime because he's not at the team. That's that true. Time. So that was that was that was the one <laughs> that was the big old sweat from last year was just like starting one of these guys and having the other guy come in uh, at halftime because it was just such such an utter disaster. I will say the combination of Fitzpatrick and Winston would have led the, that 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 one quarterback. It's unfair to do, but like that one quarterback, if you combine them, would have led the league in passing yards this year, last year by 200 yards. Uh, that was over 5,300 yards, and that closest guy was Ben Roethlisberger at 51. So again, it's kind of like cherry picking some stats because they weren't the same guy. But it speaks to the fact that there was just tons of yards to be had in this offense, and they just they just couldn't center it around one dude because these guys. You know, just threw tons of picks, and specifically Winston would just throw pick after pick after pick, and then just get benched. And you know, a lot, say what you want about interceptions, they can be sort of lumpy in the way uh, <laughs> that they are accumulated. So uh, I, I, I think I'm with you. I love the uh, upside of him. I do think you see a lot of ownership him on him in GBPs for that very reason. There's just a ton of upside here. He has the he has the two weapons now. Um, and you said people are high on O.J. Howard as well. It just seems, and, and they have almost no running game to speak of too. So that's just where it's going to need to happen is through the air. Uh, and for that, yeah, reason, I don't think you'll
1: see a ton of GPP ownership, just because I think there's so many shiny new toys that people can gravitate towards. And I think that's where, like you know, as we've worked through some of these offenses, like Arizona or whoever, and tried to figure out where you can get, where you can get upside while taking on some amount of risk, but. Where you're also your upside is also increased by the fact that it's relatively low ownership. I don't know. Maybe my gut read on this situation is wrong, but I think that yeah, he, he kind of checks all those boxes for me right now.
0: If you saw six right now, Chris Godwin is not in our top lineups. Um, if you yeah. saw that's not to say that it's not going to happen. That we have, there's many hours between then and now uh, for these things to change. We do make a lot of adjustments leading into weeks. If you saw if if we did not have him in lineups and you saw him at something like sixty percent ownership, which I think is like is not outside the realm of possibility here, just the amount of buzz this guy's getting uh, going into the season, would that make you worried? Do you think we were getting the best of a situation where maybe the hype is a little overblown on this guy because we could be in this situation where the price and just the, our projections on some of these other guys just aren't going to jive with a Goblin play? And would you be worried if we saw that number?
1: Yeah, I mean, listen, if you're against the chalk when there's 60% ownership on anything it's never a good feeling just because it increases the variance of your week I mean unless that guy is just a terrible play um, in which case Godwin is is absolutely not a terrible play but I also wouldn't be afraid to stick my neck out on that Um, again we know what Godwin was last year we know there's a coaching change we know and I think most of this hype actually comes from one Bruce Arians quote in March that was like Chris Godwin could be a 100 catch guy this year it's like okay awesome that's That's cool. It's one quote like six months ago, you know, so um, great, great player. He was super effective. Again, many people have really broken down how uh, effective he was when targeted last year. And I just feel okay just seeing it for a game. You know, I think there's at least an equal possibility that he goes out there and has six targets and like four catches and 50 yards that he does goes out there and blows up. And if I'm picking between him and someone, say Kenny Galladay, who I think has, you know, equal upside or or more, um, but from my perspective, a higher floor, then I'll just go in that direction. So, yeah, we might be on an island, but that's why you get our projection system, right? If you just want to play the chalk on every single position, uh, just do that. You can just kind of get a Twitter consensus and build your lineup from there. But, you know, I I trust our underlying numbers, and I think this would be an area where I'd be willing to take a risk.
0: Yeah. We're already pretty bullish on his targets already. I like we're somewhere like an eight range, which is pretty high, maybe even higher. It might be like eight and a half. I think we we have him and Evans is the same amount of targets, which feels about right to me. And uh he just doesn't seem to have right now. have maybe the same touchdown equity, but we'll double check some of these numbers as we go in. And he, I would be a little bit worried if I probably saw that going into this week. And it, I just wouldn't be killed by it either. Cause we just seen too many times with Tampa Bay. I get It's a new coach and everything and new personnel to some degree Well, it's new coach, not necessarily new personnel. Um, um, and we've just seen this kind of happen where just the thing, best laid plans for a team don't end up coming to fruition every single week. So we'll see about it on That being said, uh, we, I think we've covered it. We're gonna, there are some other night games. We're not going to get into the Monday night, uh, late, late Sunday and Monday night games for the main slate here. But if you want our projections for that, you can go over to dailyfantasysportsrankings.com, dfsr.com for short, uh, and you can get a free trial to our projection system powered by our good friends over at Lineup Lab. If you go sign up right now, you get that free for the first week. So no risk to you. You go in there, you sign up, you have the projections through the Monday games. You can see what we're all about. You can jump in the chat room, talk to some of our users, talk to us. James and I are in there on Sundays. And you know if you're into baseball too, it covers your baseball subscription as well. So go check it out. DFSR.com slash deals will get you started. It's a free trial. It takes you through the weekend. Buddy, great luck to you uh, for week one NFL. Talk to you next week when we're tilting on the game uh, on the <laughs> week one on the on the week week one recap when everything we said uh, we can make excuses for the things that went right and pat ourselves on the back <laughs> things that went wrong sure. and pat ourselves on the back for the things that went right. Enjoy your week one. Peace.